Our scripture this evening is found in Psalm 3, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 8. I uh, told you this morning how it came about that we ended up at Psalm 3. Angie helped me go through uh, all of my sermons uh, over uh, this week, and and obviously when you've been preaching 32 years, you will have preached from the Psalms more than any other book uh, in uh, in the Bible. And so my, my folder of, of sermons from the Psalms is probably about this thick. And and so I don't put them in order when I get done. I just open the folder, stick it in the folder, and I'm done. And and so Angie helped me get them in order, and, and we made a list of the Psalms that I have never preached. And so I thought, well, where do I start? And, and I thought, well, Psalm 3 is the first one I hadn't preached, so we'll just start there, and uh, and, and we'll keep going from there. You know... Throughout the Psalms, I mean, and, and we've talked about it as we've looked at, at other Psalms, that that we see the heart of, of the person that is being drawn to God. And, and we see, you know, we talked about the imprecatory Psalms, and we looked at Psalm 69 uh, last week, which was an imprecatory Psalm. There's about 7 to 11 imprecatory Psalms in the, in the Psalter. Uh, obviously, we will come across those as we make our way through the Psalms during our evening service, and we'll talk more about them then. But I got to be honest with you, you know, I, I originally was going to preach through the imprecatory Psalms, and, and as I wrote that first sermon, I thought, man, this is going to be depressing, okay? This is going to be really depressing if like the next seven to 11 sermons are about, you know, the, the, the imprecatory Psalms, and I thought... I can't do that, so we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to do it that way. We will uh, we'll back out and, 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 and deal with them as we come to them. But, you know, in, in, this, in this psalm that we're looking at tonight, we understand that, that salvation belongs only to God. I mean, David is telling us that this is, this is not a New Testament, just a New Testament concept. The Old Testament saints understood it as well. They understood that salvation belonged only to God. I mean, remember Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, David uh, would cry out. And so, listen, David understood the difference. If you under, you know, if you're saying I'm saved, then, then he also understood that there were people that were not saved. Now, they had a different understanding of who was not saved uh, than, than, than we would, okay? But, but David understood that salvation belonged only to God, and we must cry out to him to arise. Psalm 3, verses 1 through 8, and in honor of the reading of God's word, let's stand. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. 
You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of this perfect and infallible uh, word that you uh, gave to us through David. God, we just ask that as you illumine the heart and mind of David when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this this evening as well. God, we love you with all of our soul, and we trust you with all of our heart. We offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer in and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here's the question that we are confronting. Okay, now, I'll tell you why I read the superscription in just a moment where it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Uh, That's important. David's world has now been turned upside down. What do we do when our world is turned upside down? David turned to God. David turned to God, and he went to God with his cares and with his problems and with his trials. The key principle that we need to learn from this tonight is that when we're facing life's trials, we glance at the problem, but we gaze at God. We spend our time and our focus on God because we will never face a problem that God cannot deliver us out of. The time that David spent with God in prayer brought him great peace and confidence. You know, we'll spend some time on it when we get there, but look at verses 5 and 6. I mean, get get the picture here. David is fleeing Jerusalem. King David is fleeing Jerusalem. Because, and he's an old man, okay? Because his son Absalom has mounted a rebellion against him. Absalom is now sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Now, what's the problem if you're sitting on the throne and the guy that is supposed to be sitting on the throne is still alive? He's got to be dealt with. David has to be dealt with. One of these two guys has got to die. Okay? In in, in that world, there are two kings competing for the throne of Israel. One of them is going to end up dead by the time this is over. Now, everybody in here, we've read enough Bible. We know that it was Absalom. But David is an older man. He is fleeing from his son. You know, betrayal. It, it, it never cuts as hard as when it's in the family. And David's son has betrayed him. And he's running away. In fact, it tells us that David left Jerusalem barefoot and weeping. Okay? Barefoot. Why would he do that? Because he had to get out of Jerusalem in a hurry. If he didn't get out of Jerusalem in a hurry, they were going to kill him. And so he got up and he ran out of the palace. He ran out of his house with with just what he had, what he was in bed with. And as it began to, to sink in on him what was going on, he began to weep. And he got far enough away from Jerusalem that he 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 felt a little bit safer. How many of y'all verse five? I lay down and slept. 
I lay down and slept. David slept the sleep of one who knew that he was firmly in God's hand. He wasn't going to let the events that were whirling around in his life make him more distraught than he needed to be. Rather than worry, David prayed and he experienced God's grace. He closes out this psalm, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Do you understand, basically, what David is saying? I mean, it's going to take me a whole lot more words to say it than, than it took David, and I know that shocks you all. Okay. What he is saying in verse 8, God, if my time as king, as king has passed, your blessing be upon your people. Your blessing be upon your people. But if my time as king has not passed, if your anointing has not passed from me, then God, your blessing be upon your people. I'm going to put this completely into your hands, O oh God. I'm going to let you deal with what you need to deal with. Because David understood that God is our shield, God is our glory. And God is our hope. If we're fighting the battle, then something is going wrong. God calls us to cry out to him in all of our troubles. Verse 1. As I said, we're going to explain something. This is the first psalm that tells us why it was written. Okay? Went out. That shouldn't surprise you too much. We're only in the third psalm. But it is the first one that tells us why it was written. And you'll notice that in some of your Bibles, it kind of pulls out that first clause. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son, and puts it as kind of a header over the psalm. Well, this is actually part of the Hebrew text. And that's why, as we see it here, it's included in verse 1 because it is part of verse 1. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. Psalm 3 is David's prayer to God when he was forced to flee his own son. Backstabbing friends and associates who had fallen for Absalom's deceitful charms joined David's disloyal son in the rebellion. If you're interested in reading about this, you'll find it in 2 Samuel 15 through 18 where it, 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 it tells us the physical events that happened. Psalm 3 tells us David's state of mind at that difficult time. This psalm is the first psalm of lament. Now, you know, I mean, we have a book in the Bible that, that the whole book is a lament or a, a collection of laments. In English, we call it Lamentations. And a lament is a a formal, for lack of a better word, it's a genre of literature. It's very specific in the way that it is written. and, and, And it's humanity's cry to God 
when the world no longer makes sense. These Psalms of Ament and the Book of Lamentations teach us to take our burdens to God. To take our burdens to God. It teaches us to take our fears, our questions, our pain, our problem, even our complaints to God. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God and, and said, Lord, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand this situation. I don't understand why you're you know, letting it uh, unfold this way. God, if, if I was in charge, here's what I'd do. And, and the Lord is just so patient. Amen. He doesn't strike me with a lightning bolt. He's so patient. He just says, sweet child. Some things he reveals to me, some things he doesn't. But God wants us to share everything in our life. We do still believe God is omniscient, don't we? That he knows all things. He knows our fears anyway. He knows our anxieties anyway. He knows our pain anyway. He knows our questions anyway. He wants us to come and to share those with Him because He wants to handle everything we face. God has thick skin. In Isaiah, He said, come, let us reason together. Let us reason together. Let me explain to you what's going on. God can handle our frustrations, our hopelessness, and even our anger. God loves us so much that he gives us the liberty to dump the raw emotions of our hearts at his throne. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Do you understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying? You know? You know the thing that keeps you going in boot camp? When you are physically and emotionally exhausted and drained, and you feel like, I can't go on any longer. It's the knowledge that other men have gone through the exact same thing you're going through, and they made it. Okay, they made it through it. And if they made it through it, I can make it through it. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. What he is saying is that Jesus has been there and he's done that. Okay, and the T-shirt, not to be too uh, irreligious, were the scars on his back, paying for our sin because he was without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our problem is that by the time we get to verse 16... We've either already made such a a, a horrendous mess of the thing or we're going to Jesus as our last resort instead of as our only resort. The writer of Hebrews is telling us to short-circuit that whole process, 
David in this psalm is telling us to short circuit this entire process. Now, some of your Bibles may have this uh, superscription that Psalm 3 is a morning uh, prayer of trusting God. Guess what Psalm 4 is? An evening prayer of trusting God. Okay? So David says, I'm going to pray in the morning, I'm going to pray in the evening. Okay? I'm going to take my entire day before God. I'm going to begin the day with God. I'm going to end the day with God. God is teaching us how to sleep tonight and face tomorrow. Look at Psalm 4, 8, what David's going to say that we'll look at next week. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. When this fellowship sent Angie and I to the Holy Land in in 1995, we flew a 747 out of LaGuardia to go to Israel. If you've ever flown to Israel from New York, it is a long flight. Okay, a very long flight. It's like 14 hours, I think. And so... I did what I do anytime I get on an airplane. I am usually asleep before the pilot brings the landing gear up, okay? And so I slept all the way except for the time at 2 o'clock in the morning when the stewardess woke me up with kippers and, and something. You, you know, kippers are like these nasty little fish. And I, and I said, ma'am, did I look like I was hungry? <laughs> Let me sleep. Well, we hit some major turbulence over France. I mean major turbulence. And what did I do? I slept right through it. And when we landed in Tel Aviv, Angie said, how could you have slept through that turbulence? It was horrible. And I said, well, either I sleep through the turbulence and the pilot gets us where we're going, or I sleep through the, the, the worst uh, airplane crash I've ever been in, okay? But either way, I was asleep, and it didn't really matter. David is saying, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Paul put it this way. For me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay? What can you do to the Christian? All you can do, listen. You can let me live and live out the rest of my life praising Jesus, or you can kill me and let me live out the rest of eternity praising Jesus. But either way, I will lie down in peace because God makes me to dwell in safety no matter what happens to me. I'm in his hands. Verse 2. David's situation was such that a lot of people were saying, well, he brought this on himself. And he is now beyond God's help. It's not that they thought God was unable to help David. They thought God would be unwilling to help David. There is no deliverance for him in God. 
And then, you know, David doesn't understand why people are coming after him that way. In 2 Samuel 16, 7 and 8, we see what happened. David comes into this little town while he's fleeing from uh, uh, Absalom and Absalom's troops. And as he comes into town, Shammai said when he cursed. Now, let me tell you what Shammai did. He came out of his house throwing rocks at David and David's entourage. And he says, get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. You think our politics is bad? Okay. You know, what would happen to you if you started throwing rocks at the president? The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul. This is all your fault, David. In whose place you have reigned, you are not the valid king. If it weren't for you, my guy Saul, I'm team Saul, Saul would still be on the throne. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Don't you wish Shemaiah had told David what he really thought? I mean, this is a dressing down. This is a dressing down. Now, let me tell you a secret. The, the actual words may be true. Okay, David, David didn't kill Saul. Saul got killed in, in a battle with the Philistines. But then David became king, and they didn't like that. And Because a lot of people remember, you remember? How is a crazy king able to keep throwing swords at his son's best friend? By convincing everybody, throwing swords, throwing spears at his son's best friends. By convincing everybody around him that his son's best friend is Jonesing for the throne. By convincing them that David has gone and somehow he got Samuel to come and anoint him as king. But you remember how many times David had the opportunity to kill Saul? David was close enough to Saul on multiple occasions to cut part of Saul's robe off. Okay? And his men kept saying, David, this is our opportunity. And David said, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. If, when God wants me to be king, I will be king. And I won't be king one second before because of something that I did. David was outnumbered. He was in the minority. And you know, it would have been a whole lot easier if this attack had come from outside. If it had been the Philistines that came against him or the Edomites. But it wasn't. This was his son that was coming after him. It was his son that was trying to bring him down. It was his son that was trying to kill him. David had no place to turn except to God. He released the stress in his spirit before the throne of God. And all of the hurt in his heart was poured out at the feet of his heavenly Father. 
as believers, we face many foes in our lives. Our enemies are often human, as were David's. Physical problems work against us. Problems of the soul and the spirit oppose us. We're in an ongoing war with the temptations that arise from our own sinful desires. But God's Word instructs us that all the attacks are directed from one source, Satan. Satan is behind all attempts to destroy us. And he seeks those to destroy that belong to the Father. And he especially wants to get after those who have never received Christ as their Savior. One of the sobering truths that, of the Christian life is that as we grow in the Lord, our trials and our troubles will increase, both in number and in severity. The carnal believer who walks after the flesh rather than the spirit is of little concern to Satan. They are of virtually no threat to Satan's agenda. That person will be ignored by Satan because he doesn't need to waste his resources on them. The spiritual believer, by contrast, is a great threat to the advancement of Satan's cause. And the enemy will direct his sharpest attacks and his shrewdest, most effective demons toward the destruction of Christ's mightiest soldiers. If we are walking with the Lord, we must expect to be opposed. When genuine believers are attacked, carnal believers go, there is no deliverance for him in God. They'll say, well, the reason this is happening is because they're out of fellowship with God. The reason this is happening is because they've done something and, and God is just paying them back. And after God describes this situation, He then inserts the word Selah. It seems an unusual place to put a pause, doesn't it? David does that on purpose. He wants us to stop and think. When we are in a desperate situation and we turn to this psalm, David wants us to stop and pause here and meditate on the distress and perhaps the hopelessness of our situation. And that pause then sets the stage for our favorite word in the Bible. But you, O Lord, many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. They want to cause me to hang my head. They want to cause me to run out of Jerusalem barefooted in my night clothes and weeping. But you, O oh God, you lift my head up. You are my shield. You are my deliverance. You are my glory. You are my protection. We have to realize that we cannot handle life's burdens and troubles by ourselves. Can I tell you what Scripture teaches us from cover to cover? God doesn't want us to. 
God doesn't want us to handle our problems on our own. There is no special deal. Listen, when we get to heaven, God's not going to go, you know, that day back in, in, in 2017 when, when you were facing this thing and you did it, man, that, that, whew, that was good. You saved me a lot of time that day. That's not what God's going to say. There is no special blessing for trying to handle our problems on our own. God invites us to bring our problems to Him. He wants to work them out for our good and His glory. He desires that we depend totally upon Him and that we trust Him to do what we cannot do. Verses 3 through 6. Our overwhelming circumstances are not our doom. Amen. God is in those circumstances and God is going to work that out because we are not left to hopelessly suffer defeat at the hands of our enemies. Can I tell you the secret? David took his eyes off of his enemies and he put his eyes on God. He put his eyes on God and trusted God to deal with his enemies. We are not alone in our battles and we are not without help when we are attacked. David was not controlled by his fears or his feelings. Instead, He stood firm in the promise of God who had a covenant with him and David knew he would not break that covenant. Verse 4. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. You know, a couple of weeks ago I said that we ought to be praying out loud. That there's value in praying out loud. David says, I was praying out loud. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And he answered me. He answered me from his holy mountain. Take another pause and think about that one. That's what David is saying. He's saying, listen, in verses 1 and 2, you think about what you're facing and you pause and you go, I got nothing. You, O Lord, are my shield. You, O Lord, are my glory. You, O Lord, are the one who lifts up my head. And so I'm crying out to you with my voice because I know that you will answer me from your holy mountain. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, because you were sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You understand that that recognizes in entirety, that that one little thing, Abba, Father, recognizes all of our relationship with God, that he is our heavenly father but he is also so close to us that we can use very personal names for God. We can use the name that a very young child would use to refer to their loving father. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, 
We are given the privilege of crying out to our Heavenly Father at any place, at any time. He gives us open access into His glorious presence, and He invites us to come boldly into His throne room. When we faithfully approach Him, He promises to help us and and to meet our need. Verses 5 and 6. David was able to sleep the sleep of one who fully trusted in God. You know, there's been a lot of times when something was just weighing down on me and, and I wouldn't be flipped, but, but I'd just say, Lord, you know I'm slap or out. And I'm just going to lay this at your feet and I'm going to bed because I know you're going to be up all night anyway and you're going to take care of this thing. And so, Lord, would you give me a good night's sleep so that I can praise you fresh in the morning. Y'all might remember back in Acts 12. Y'all remember that? Peter had just witnessed James be murdered by Herod. And, and they caught Peter, and they put him in jail. And Peter was in jail, and the next morning was to be the day that Peter died. Peter was in jail. He's going to be executed. And so what do we find Peter doing in Acts 12? He is sound slap asleep. How many of y'all would be able to sleep the sleep of the dead the night before they killed you? Okay. Peter was sleeping so sound that an angel comes into the room and the glory of his presence doesn't wake Peter up. Okay. In fact, the angel has to walk over to Peter and say, Pete, Pete, get up. Peter, you know, I mean, i got to imagine... Angie knows how sound I sleep. And if I woke up and saw an angel, I'd be like, what am I seeing? And the angel said, boy, get your shoes on. Come on with me. And he had to prod Peter to get him out of there. Peter was sleeping so soundly that the angel had to pick him up and carry him out of there. In the darkest of nights, Our loving, gracious Father will give us rest if we will place ourselves in His powerful hands. 1 John 5, 4. (coughs) For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. And that's what David is talking about in verses 5 and 6. David spoke from a heart of faith. He spoke with unwavering faith because David knew that unwavering faith releases the mighty power of God to act on our behalf. Verses 7 and 8. David's mind was on what he had asked God to do and what God had already done. Now, I want you to notice a contrast, okay? Verse 1, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me. Do you see the contrast between the many that were against him and the one that David called to arise and save him. 
David understood that salvation, both in the ultimate and the immediate sense, was God's property. It isn't the property of one nation or sect, but of the Lord God himself. To be saved, one must deal with God himself. When David says, thy blessing be upon thy people, it showed his heart in a time of personal calamity. He wasn't only concerned for God's hand upon himself, but upon all God's people. He didn't pray for preservation and victory and the trial with Absalom just for his own sake, but because it was best for the nation. At some point, while David was praying and crying out to God, God gave him assurance of the victory, gave him peace about the victory. David didn't always have that. There was a time when he felt like God might not favor him. In fact, he resigned himself to do whatever God had determined. But here he prayed until God answered and then rested in God's peace. Sometimes, beloved, when we face problems or or trouble, we ask how long we should pray for a solution. We should continue to pray until God answers by giving us the peace that Paul tells us about in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Man, that's easy to say, isn't it? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Isn't that what we just saw David do? Everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Paul said in Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Do you understand what Paul is saying? That we were called so that the peace of Christ would rule in our hearts. We were called to be thankful people. We were called to give glory to God because when God gives us His peace, we can then proceed with confidence. But until He grants His peace, we should continue in fervent prayer. Will we cry out for God to arise?